0: Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at PainesvilleAG.com. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Weightier matters, weightier matters, no doubt. Uh, all of us can agree we're living in difficult times, right? There's a lot happening today. Everything that's happening with COVID-19 and and uh, and all of those kinds of things, uh, and there's just a lot of a lot of pressure and a lot of tension. You add to that the uh, racial injustices that have taken place, and uh, and the challenges that are happening along those lines. Uh, not to mention the fact that it is a an election year, and that always just adds enough division uh, that uh, is a powder keg that can just blow a whole lot of things up as well. And, uh, and so the message that we're talking about today uh, is going to come from a text in Matthew chapter 23 uh, and then Micah chapter 6. And uh, I am not really concerned about what uh, you feel on a political scale and uh, whether you agree uh, on the right or the left or wherever you are, the top or the bottom or whatever is in between. What I care about is what the Bible says. And, uh, and, and that's where we start. I don't start with trying to start from a left or a right and then try to fit my Bible into whatever that is. Uh, I wanna start with what the Bible says. Uh, as believers in these times that are so difficult, these times that are so divided, they're divided uh, in our nation uh, is very divided, but also divided within God's family, the church. And so I began to pray, I said, God, share with me. Show me what your word says. How ought to we position ourselves? How should we live? as believers. And, uh, and so it came down to two passages of Scripture. The first one in Matthew is a context of Jesus addressing some of the religious leaders. They were scribes and Pharisees. Scribes were those that would write out the law. They knew how to write out the law. Pharisees were considered religious leaders of the day. These were people that that, that, that knew what the law said and, and also had practices that they would call practices of righteousness. And, uh, and, and so they would be things that they would do. One of those things had to do with the tithe. And and, uh, and that's a, a practice. That's a practice of righteousness, what we give and those kind of things. And, and, but yet, at the same time, Jesus begins to deal with a problem inside of their hearts. And so he's talking to religious people. So if you are uh, a believer, a religious person today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ or a Christian, then we're talking to you. <laughs> we're talking to you. Everybody will benefit from this. Matthew chapter 23, 23 and 24. Woe to you. How many know it's really not good when Jesus says, woe? When something starts out as woe, that's just really not a good thing, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's also not a very good thing, right? Uh, And and how were they hypocritical? What, What did he see? He says this, you pay the tithe and the mint and the anise and the cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You ought to have done without, you ought to have done uh, uh, without leaving the others undone. So in other words, these are not bad things to do, but there are some things that you are neglecting. There are some things that you're not doing. So in all of the righteousness that you're doing, in all of the righteous acts, that's not bad, keep doing that, but there's something more important that you're missing. You have been majoring in the minors, and you're minoring in some things that I consider to be weightier matters, things that are really important. And what are those? Justice and mercy and faith. In fact, he says, blind guides uh, you, who strain out a gnat to swallow a camel. That, that's, in other words, what he's saying is you work so hard at trying to get these things right, all the while you're missing some things that are so much more important. So much more important that you need to be paying attention to. And uh, and so these weightier matters of justice and mercy and faith were the things they were neglecting. And it kind of reflect back to an Old Testament passage in Micah. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, this is what it says. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What does the Lord require? In this verse, there's similar way to your matters. Justice and mercy are, are things that are very important to God. We see them in this passage, and we see Jesus talking about them in Matthew chapter 23. So whenever something is emphasized like that, I think it's something that we ought to pay attention to. And so there are things here that Jesus says are really important in Micah 6:8. Three areas that were important to God, and that is to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our. God. Micah 6, 8 is a summary of how we ought to live. And to walk humbly with God is is to know Him intimately and to be attentive to what He desires and what He loves. And what is that? What does that consist of? That consists of to do justice and to love mercy. Now last week, we looked at the word justice. It was the Hebrew word mishpah. Mishpot. Mishpat had to do with this this justice. And and so if you weren't here or you didn't get a chance to hear that message, I'm gonna encourage you to go back online. It's on there. I wanna encourage you. you can either listen to it audio-wise by connecting to that app that we have or going to our, 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 our website or you can go to our YouTube channel uh and uh, and Facebook page you can go back and watch because I'm not gonna pre-preach that. But justice was very important to God. But today, I want to focus on the second part of that, and that is the area of mercy, and it is the Greek word chased. Chesed, I really practice that. Chesed, you gotta like, if you're gonna speak Hebrew, you gotta like spit, you should probably wear a mask if you're gonna do that. Chesed. And, and, and within chesed, chesed means unconditional, uh, unconditional grace and compassion. And within this word is the Hebrew word chesed, you gotta really have that gut, chesed. And, and that is a word that has to do with love, and it means loyal love or loving kindness. So oftentimes within scripture, you hear the loving kindness of the word particularly the Old Testament, wherever it says loving kindness or loyal love, it can be translated also mercy. It's an unconditional mercy, the mercy of the Lord. That's the the Greek word that that is here. And both justice and mercy are things that are foundational to the very character of God. In fact, Psalm 84 and verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Talking about God, mercy and truth go before your face. So these are things that are really, really important to God. And we see mercy throughout Scripture. In fact, when God had appeared to, to Moses in the wilderness, as he's leading the children of Israel in the wilderness, and, and, uh, and, and before he would go before, his presence would go before him, it says this in Exodus 34:6: the Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Man, that is so good, isn't it? In fact, when God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of their captivity, out of their slavery, when they're dancing around and when they're praising the Lord in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 13, this is what they say, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. So redemption comes out of mercy. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. In fact, this idea of mercy and loving kindness is repeated over and over again. And in one, just one psalm alone, Psalm 136, the phrase, uh, your mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever, is repeated 26 times. I kind of think that there's something that we ought to get. What do we need to see about God? We need to see that God is merciful. In fact, if you recognize anywhere where you have sinned and you repent before God, you understand that appealing to God's mercy is at the very foundation of being able to receive His forgiveness and His grace. David, after he had sinned with committing adultery with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband Uriah the Hittite, suddenly is, 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 he has been exposed and he begins to repent before God. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance and it found its foundation is found in verse 1, the appeal for him to be able to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God when he deserves the justice and the judgment of God, he appeals to God's mercy. Look at Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Do you see the unfailing love, the chesed, unfailing love, the chesed, the mercy of God, by mercy appealing to God's unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. You see, it's here that we see that mercy is not getting what we deserve, it's not getting what we deserve the greatest act of mercy that god has was to, was demonstrated when he sent his son jesus christ to be able to save us from our sin in fact titus chapter 3 4 and 5 look what it says when the kindness and love of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done So not because of these righteous acts, not because I tithe, not because I went to church, not because I did my Bible reading, not because I gave to the poor, gave to the needy, not because of my righteousness, it didn't have to do with that, but because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, that is to be born again. When you hear that phrase, born again, that's what we're talking about. That's what happens. That's a spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that when we confess by faith, Jesus, you are Lord, and I appeal to your mercy and ask you to forgive me of my sin, the Lord comes into our lives and gives us rebirth, the washing and renewal by the Holy Spirit. But that only comes because of the mercy of God. When it's within our power to, to uh, or, or right to punish or to harm someone else, but instead we show compassion and forgiveness, instead of that we demonstrate mercy. Now let me just uh, give you a kind of a practical illustration of this. When I was in my 20s, I was, a, I had graduated from college and I had my first youth pastorate in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, which is located in the Pocono Mountains, And uh, man, as a young youth pastor, I was just eager to please. I wanted to get to know people, I was eager to please. We had our youth ministry services on Wednesday night, just like we do here. But I had a family from the church that really wanted me to come over for dinner. They wanted to get to know me. And I I didn't wanna say no, I wanna do that. And even though it was a Wednesday, it would cause some stress, I still said yes. And so I went over to their house for dinner. We had a wonderful time, but as oftentimes happens, sometimes you get into conversation and you just don't know how to like politely say, you know, I really need to get going. I really got somewhere to be. Anybody ever found that before? I was, you know, I'm young. I'm a young youth pastor. I didn't really know how to get out of it. And I said a couple times, hey, I got youth service. I really got to get going. And they just kept talking and I didn't want to be mean. And so I found myself when I finally got to leave, I was running late, like really late. And so, man, I was flooring it in the car, all right? And, and the Poconos, if you know anything about it, the, the roads are like windy. And so, man, I'm flying. And the, the speed limit, I don't remember what it was at the time. I remember like maybe 35 or 40 because of the curves. And, you know, it really could be dangerous, but man, I'm I'm like Preston. I had to be going at least 60, probably a little more than that. If I'm honest, I was, because I did not want to be late. I wanted to also please my lead pastor. I didn't want to be late. And I am flying. I come around the corner, and there's a police officer right there with the gun. And I saw it, and I went right around. And, you know, there's another corner to where you don't see. And I thought, I am Betty's coming out after me. What do I do? Do I just like find a side street and pull off? Do I speak? No, I didn't say that. I... I I pulled over and he comes flying around with his lights on he sees me and he like hits the brakes and comes behind me because I don't think he expected me to pull over. And he comes up and he goes, where are you going in such a hurry? What is wrong? So I pleaded with him and I said, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I said, but I'm running late. I mean, I'm, I'm new, I got this job, and I was trying to do this, and, and, and I, I'm a youth pastor, I don't want to get in trouble, and I'm just like talking a mile a minute, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and he says, a, a pastor, is that like a priest or something? And I said, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> and, and you know what, he had, he had compassion on me. I deserved a ticket, I, I really did. I was, I was not driving the way I should, I was not driving. I deserved a ticket, but instead, he let me off with a warning. He demonstrated to me mercy. Mercy. That's mercy. When there's something we ought to get but we don't get, that's mercy. That's mercy. Throughout scripture that's what we see the character of God is rich in mercy Ephesians chapter 2 3 and 4 all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts all of us i mean how many of us were in that way we were a fall we were falling away from God we we followed the cravings of our sinful flesh we were we were not obedient to God we were deserving of of wrath like the rest by nature we were deserving of wrath we were deserving of punishment i was deserving of a ticket all right I was deserving of having to pay a big fine, Uh, you know, deserving of wrath. But look at this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And what did he do? He provided salvation for us. Why? Because of appealing to this part of him that is his mercy. That God is rich in mercy. So, so because of our Heavenly Father is merciful, He has saved us through His mercy, and therefore He expects you and I to be merciful. As He has shown us mercy, so we ought to show mercy to others. In fact, mercy is so important that in Proverbs 3 and verse 3, God instructs us to bind it around our necks and to write it on the tablet of our hearts. Why? Because we're forgetful people. We forget about things. So you look and you go, oh, there it is. That's right, I need to show mercy. Bind it around my neck. Write it on a tablet of my heart. We learn that that mercy here is one of the weightier matters of God. And it's one of the things that God requires. It takes precedence over many other things. And in fact, the prophet Hosea informs us that God desires mercy even more than he desires sacrifice. That's what it says, Hosea 6.6. The Expositor's Commentary talks about what it means to show mercy, and it says to love mercy is to freely and willingly show kindness to others. Kindness. How can you argue with that? When Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, He summarized biblical teaching with these words in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How many of you want to be showing mercy? Blessed are the merciful. So to be merciful, you will receive mercy. You say, I don't know if that's right. Well, then read Luke chapter six and verse 36 because Jesus said, be merciful just as the heavenly father is merciful. Just as our heavenly father is merciful, so that ought to be a character quality that we experience that comes with us. Afterwards, you know, I mean, actually, you know, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have been reborn, then you ought to exhibit the fruit of the spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If those things are not happening, then Houston, I've got a problem in my spiritual heart because I'm not reflecting the character of my Savior, the one who has saved me and made me reborn. I want to look at some aspects of mercy, and to do that, we're going to look at a popular passage of Scripture to kind of illustrate this, so I don't want you, to, when you figure out what the passage of Scripture is, say, oh, I've heard that one before, oh, I've heard so many sermons on that one before, because you know what, the Lord can speak to you even through a popular passage of Scripture, but we want to demonstrate some very, action, some, 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 some very key aspects of what it means to show mercy. What does it mean to love mercy? What does it mean to show mercy? And uh, and so what we have here is we have an expert in Mosaic law. We might call him a lawyer of sorts, but he's a lawyer in biblical law, in Old Old Testament Mosaic law. And he asked Jesus a question. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how many know that's a good question? A lot of people are asking that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I have eternal life? Is there something beyond today. Not, not a bad question, but here's a religious leader, somebody who, who who is an expert in the law, and he's actually doing this to test Jesus, but Jesus turns the tables, and Jesus begins to ask him two questions. He says, well, what is written in the law, and how do you read it? So, in other words, you're, you're an expert in the law. You tell me what's written, but how do you understand it? How do you read it? How do you understand it? So, here he is. He's got a test now. He tried to test Jesus. Jesus flipped it. Here he is, and he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, or with all your strength and with your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. You know what that's called? That's called the Great Commandment. Jesus had said that in another passage of scripture. So, of course, Jesus replies to him You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Right? Simple as that. So if I'm the young lawyer, I'm thinking, yeah, I passed the test. I got an A. <laughs> I answered correctly. How I many you like to answer tests correctly? You get somebody to test you and you get the answer right. You're like, yes, I got it right. So here he is. He gets the answer right. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Uh, but the, the problem is, even though he has the right answer, does he really understand what is really behind this? Does he really understand it? You know, there are a lot of times when there's a lot of biblical knowledge that we know. There are a lot of things that we know. This lawyer knew what was written. He he knew what was written in the law. He, He was on a roll. He had tested the teacher. He had won. He had perceived that he understood what it was to inherit eternal life, what it was for redemption. He thought, man, I'm on the pathway. And yet there were some things that he didn't quite understand. In fact, a guy by the name of Fred Craddock points out having right answers does not mean that one knows God. You can have all the right answers, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you know God. One may know about God, but does one know God? You, you can study theology 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but you might not know God, the one whom theology is about. You may have your U-version Bible streak going at 365 days. I did it for an entire year, and I didn't miss one, but do you really know God? Do you really know the one in whom it is written? You may have all the books of the Bible memorized starting from the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, that, that, that you know. First, second, Sam, and just in case you think I don't know, I could, you know. But do you know God, all right? Do you know God? Do you, do you, do you know God? Do you know what it's about? That's the, the challenge. Jesus says, listen, uh, right answers don't necessarily translate into right living. They don't translate into right living. He said, great, that's the right answer. Top student, do this and you will live. The problem is, is that we know that, that, that it's so difficult to obey every little aspect of the law. We just can't do it. What the law was short to do, that's why Jesus Christ came. And so, although he understood all the things of the law, there were some weightier matters that he was missing, and one of those had to do with mercy, and it gets pointed out in what Jesus does next, and what the man asks next, because the man is about to step into it. Do you ever think you should just stop at some point? Like, this guy was on a roll. I'm testing Jesus. I'm testing, oh, I'm going to test him here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I got that right. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to test you one more, Jesus. Who is my Neighbor, who is my neighbor? He should have stopped while he was ahead. (laughs) Who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, Okay, now we're getting to the heart of the matter. You can know a lot of this, but do you really know what I expect, what I require? So, let me tell you about what it is to be a neighbor. And, And that's what it says, Luke 10 29, wanting to justify himself. That's when we get into problems when we want to justify ourselves. That's a little extra. So Jesus tells a story, a parable that we call the Good Samaritan, although Jesus never called the Samaritan good. In fact, Samaritans and Jews had this racial problem going on. You see, the the Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. During a time of captivity when people were taken away, many Jewish people were left behind and they begin to intermarry with some of the Gentiles and some of the Assyrians and some of the people that were in there. And so they had a mixed race and they had a mixed religion. And as a result of that, uh, there was some tension. Not only that, but when uh, the Jewish people began to come back and they began to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls in the time of Ezra and the time of Nehemiah And in that area, it was the Samaritans who began to persecute them. Uh, Sanballat and Tobiah were Samaritans, began to persecute them. Therefore, the Samaritans said, you know what, we're going to build our own temple. We're not going to Jerusalem, we're going to worship on Mount Gerizim, we're going to build our own place of worship, and they were considered ceremonially unclean, socially outcast, religious heretics, I mean this was a triple threat. And so here in this story, and if you know the story, you know that there were the priests and the Levite and, and and that, but they weren't the heroes in the story, the heroes of the story are a Samaritan. And, and, and if I'm the, the, the religious, the, the, law, the, guy, the, the lawyer here, the young lawyer, I'm thinking, oh, no, Houston, we have a problem. What are you saying, Jesus? What are you saying? So let's get into the story. All right, let's get into the story. In reply, Luke 10, 30 to 37, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. You might say a pastor or worship leader. They were involved in the worship aspects of the temple, of the tabernacle. There were certain things that were unclean. So if they were on their way to do something, if they were to help this man, they might get themselves unclean. There was something that would happen. But then it says this. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. He saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him. He said, When I return, I will reimburse you. That's apoditomai, you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? So Jesus is asking the, the lawgiver, okay, I told you a story. Which one was a neighbor? And the guy's probably like, oh, no, do I have to really answer this question? Seriously? I mean, come on. But he knows. He has to answer the question. So he says, look at what he says. The answer he gets, the one who, had, he will not even call him the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says this, go and do likewise. Who was the neighbor? The one who had mercy. And so from the story, we learn some key aspects of what it means to show mercy. Number one, mercy begins with compassion. Mercy begins with compassion. And again, we're not told anything about the man who was traveling on this road. The road to Jerusalem and Jericho was a very uh, challenging road. It was a road where there was a lot of places people could hide. It was a road where people could come out and where oftentimes robberies like this took place. It might have even been a common occurrence. So it would have been nothing to say, oh boy, here's another one that got robbed. I don't have time for this. Here's another one that's in need. Here's another one that didn't prank for cause. We don't know exactly what that is, but all we know is, is there was somebody who had been stripped and beaten and left for dead who was hurting and in need of someone to come alongside. And two, the priest and the Levite, the ones who you would think would come alongside, did not. But the Samaritan, the one who there was much prejudice against, the one that was considered the outcast, the one in which there was a racial injustice that could have, that, that, that was taking place in terms of the tension, he became the hero in the story as he came along, the outsider. The The enemy showing mercy because he he chose to stop and get involved. You see, compassion is an interesting concept. When we use the word compassion, we usually use it as an adjective. It's a very descriptive word. We say that so-and-so was a compassionate man or a compassionate woman, but originally the word compassion was actually a verb, to compassionate, to compassionate somebody. You might hyphenate at the end, compassionate somebody. And and compassionate is to enter into someone else's pain. It's beyond sympathy. Oh, I feel bad for you. But it includes empathy, which is the willingness to put yourself in someone else's shoes, your willingness to enter into their pain. To compassionate is to enter into someone's pain, to enter into their suffering, but not just to, uh, not for the purpose of feeling sorry for them. It's to enter into somebody's pain to retrieve them or relieve them from that pain and lift them out of the pain. That's that's what it is, that's what mercy is. I want to unpack the difference. What's the difference between pity and compassion? Pity would say something like this: hey, you know, have you heard that 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 so-and-so, we might call him Joe the the plumber, lost his plumbing job about three months ago? You know, he, he lost, boy, you know, I feel so bad for that guy. That is just terrible. I have such pity on him. Compassion would say, hey, did you hear that Joe the plumber lost his job a couple of months ago? Hey, you know, maybe we ought to come alongside him. I wonder if his family could use some groceries. I wonder if they could use a bill paid. I wonder, I wonder if there's something we can do to help relieve and lift him out of the pain. Pity might say, you know, did you hear about that, that woman down the street? You know, she's a single mom with all those kids. You know, she had that health issues again. She's been in the hospital for a couple of months, in and out all the time. Man, I just feel so bad. She can't catch a break. That's That's pity. Compassion says, hey, did you hear about that single mom in and out of the hospital for a couple weeks? She has three kids. I'm not sure. You know, maybe we can see if maybe we can take her kids for a while. Maybe there's something that we can do. Maybe she needs groceries. Maybe she needs her lawn mowed. Maybe there's some kind of a bill that she needs paid or something that we can do to kind of lift her out of her suffering." That's the difference between pity and compassion. Mercy is compassionate. Mercy is love and action. Mercy is willing to get our hands dirty so we can step into the brokenness of, of others in their lives. What did Jesus do when he took on flesh? He he became human, right? He took on flesh, he became human, he became a man. What did he do? He entered into our need, into our sin, into our suffering. He didn't just stay from afar and say, Oh, I feel bad for those people. Good luck with that. He entered into their pain. He entered into their need. He entered into our need, stepped into our brokenness to show us compassion and mercy and to lift us out by his salvation, satisfying the very justice of God, not giving us what we deserve. Secondly, mercy comes with personal cost. Personal cost. There's costs that are involved with the Samaritan. If you look at this, it cost him time. He was on a journey somewhere. He was heading somewhere himself. By the, by the sounds of the fact that he had two denarii he was willing to give and said, I'll come back, whatever it is. I don't know how much he, he, you know, these medical expenses will cost, how long his stay will be. I'll come back. I'll reimburse you, whatever it is. He had to be somewhat of a wealthy man, probably a businessman, but you know what? He was willing to stop wherever he was going, whatever he was willing to do. He was willing to stop at the cost of his schedule and at the cost of his time. To compassionate, to really demonstrate mercy and to get involved is going to cost you some time. It's going to mean that you may have to adjust some things in your schedule. You may have to, to say, well, maybe I'm going to be late for that, or maybe I'm not going to be able to do that today or this week so that I can be there and demonstrate mercy and kindness to someone else. It'll cost you energy. I don't know how long away the inn was, this man had a donkey. Instead of riding on it himself, he put this man on his donkey, which means he walked the rest of the way. It cost him energy. I'm going to tell you that when you get involved in the life of those who are hurting and you begin to actually enter into their pain, it is costly. It is costly physically. You'll be tired physically, but it is also costly emotionally to be able to enter into that, you'll pull on your heartstrings and you will find yourself tired emotionally. It will cost you energy. But showing mercy it does not include extend, it must include extending personal energy. It'll cost you financially. He gave him two silver coins, right? He said, you know what? I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm going to reimburse whatever the debt is. I'll come back and I'll reimburse it. it. He had to be willing to extend that payment in order to keep the man free from debt, You have to understand that in this kind of a society, if you couldn't pay, it was kind of like what my mom used to tell me when we were at a restaurant and she'd say, well, you're paying the bill and I'd say, I don't have any money. And she says, well, I guess you're gonna have to go and wash dishes. Anybody else's parents ever tell them that before? you know, you, you were stuck to servitude. If you, did not, if you did not have the money to be able to pay, then you had to become that person's servant. You owed them, you owed them a great price. You became their servant to be able to work off the debt. You became that, that kind of a servant to that person. But here we see that he entered in and lovingly he was willing to enter into a financial cost so that the man could remain free. And that kind of leads us to number three and that is this mercy includes forgiveness. While it's not outright in the story, the fact that this man was hurting and this man, this other man is coming, the Samaritan man to pay his debt, indicates the fact that, that again, if the debt is not being required to be paid, there is a, a way of forgiveness to the debt. When we talk about forgiveness on any other things, if somebody wrongs you or hurts you, there is a debtor relationship involved and it's why we use language like, you owe me an apology. It's like you owe me something. You took something from me and therefore there is a debtor relationship and there is something that you owe, but forgiveness has to do with forgiving the debt, letting the debt go. That's what Jesus Christ did for us, isn't it? True mercy involves letting go of the debt. That when when we were sinners, Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. When we had this debt payment that we could not pay, Jesus Christ came and he paid our debt, extending to us mercy and forgiveness, extending to us grace. Going back to the beginning of the passage, the the lawyer's first question was about how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus shares about a man who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead, who was by the side of the road. And, And 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 don't we know that with Jesus? Isn't that us in the picture? Aren't we the ones that are broken? Aren't we the ones that are in debt? Aren't we the ones that have been broken and stripped and left for dead along the side of the road needing someone to come alongside and demonstrate mercy and compassion to us, picking us up, entering into our need and bringing us to a place where they then pay our debt? That's what Jesus Christ did for us. Could it be that Jesus is the true Good Samaritan in the story and the lawyer is the man who has really found himself by the road saying, How do I inherit eternal life? And, and, and Jesus says, Well, how do you read it? And he says, Well, I read it by doing all these things Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How, how, how do I do that? I can't do that. Who is my neighbor? Because I know I'm unable to do that. And Jesus says, Then show mercy. Because I showed mercy. I show mercy to you, you ought to extend mercy to others at great cost to Himself. Jesus Christ gave up His life on the cross to pay our debt and to heal us by binding up our wounds. (laughs) And then Jesus says, Go and do likewise. Who was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Who is the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. How do I inherit eternal life? Now listen, you don't inherit eternal life by your good works. You inherit eternal life by receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. However, you receive mercy yourself by extending mercy. As mercy is received, so mercy is extended. Because mercy is at the very heart of God. It's who God is. It's who he is. So many times we want others to pay. But Jesus says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Turn it over to me. I don't wanna turn it over to you. Like Jonah, we go, I don't wanna go to Nineveh. I don't wanna do it because if I preach about your repentance and I preach about the judgment coming, they're going to appeal to your mercy. They're going to appeal to your loving kindness and you're gonna turn things around and you're not gonna give them what they deserve and I want them to get what they deserve. I've got a nationalism. They have treated our people poorly. They ought to get what they deserve. And Jonah goes off and pouts because God did exactly what Jonah said. I knew you would do. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew if I went there and preached that you would show them your, un, your kindness and your, and I don't want that. And God says, who are you? Yeah, you know, he let this little branch tree grow up, this little thing and there's shade and Jonah's no longer. And he's like, oh, and then the tree, the thing dies and Jonah's all mad. And he's you didn't make that and you didn't take it away. I love these people. The one who shows mercy. I just think it'd be a really good idea if we were just a little more merciful. I think our world is hurting. And our world is break, broken. And there's something that our world needs. And it's the unconditional mercy of the Lord. But 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 but, take it to the Lord. I close with one more story: Victor Hugo's *Les Misérables*, story of Jean Valjean, a man who has spent 19 years doing hard labor for a crime of stealing some bread, and uh, his family was hungry. He stole some bread, and you go, he deserves justice. He got 19 years, and he comes out, and uh, and and because of that, he's not welcome anywhere. Uh, He ends up being taken in by a local church, and uh, knowing that God's law requires love and charity and hospitality, the bishop, Bishop Muriel, tells Valjean, though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. Well, in a desperate act, he's been given this mercy, but he has this dream in the middle of the night of his time when he was in prison, and he freaks out. and In a desperate act, he goes and he starts to steal the the silver, all the silverware, and the silver that the church has, one of their very few precious possessions, the things that they actually have. And uh, the bishop catches him, and he he knocks the bishop to the floor and runs out with the silver. Well, the next day the police bring him back, and uh, and and he tells them the story. Well, the bishop gave me this silver, and they said we don't believe it. Let's come back, so they bring him back, and the bishop has to face him, and he's in a difficult position. He's already shown this criminal charity, and and he's been repaid by theft. He's been repaid by being punched and knocked down, and uh, again, doesn't have all of these things, and he would be within his right to be able to say, no, 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 I didn't give it to him. He robbed me. Send him back to jail. That would have been justice, but instead of turning him in, the bishop grabs candlesticks, he says, hey, no, 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 I did give it to him, but I'm so glad that you brought him back because he didn't take the candlesticks either. You really need to take the silver candlesticks. I can't believe you forgot them. And he sticks them in his bag, and the police are just like, so this story is true? And he's like, "And, and he goes, we forgot to take the candlesticks. And so they, the police leave, and he's standing there with Jean Valjean, and he's looking him in the eye, and he says, forget not, never forget that you have promised me to use the silver to become an honest man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil but to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Now, I want to highlight something. Now, this is not a biblical story, okay? But there is something that is very, very important for you to understand. The silver is very key. When Joseph experienced redemption, His brother, uh, they put silver in his brother's bag, Benjamin, and he came back. And when there was an idea area of redemption, silver was tied to redemption. Jesus Christ was sold by Judas, betrayed by Judas, for what? Silver. Silver is a symbol of redemption. And that's what we see here in this story as well as a symbol of redemption, that when justice could have been served, instead mercy was given and redemption was made. And moreover, this act of compassion could have resulted maybe in others being victimized, but instead it resulted in the change of heart in Jean Valjean, and he later on uh, again extends that mercy and his life is lived in such a way that is flipped around, not because he received the justice that he was due but rather he received the mercy and compassion that he did not deserve mercy isn't just about being nice it's a kindness that is extended at personal cost when it's within our power to do otherwise it's having the ability to be able to see the big picture instead of being focused on respect and rights and the treatment we feel we deserve I just want to close just with a verse Micah 6 8 he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In what areas do you need the Lord to work in your heart so that you can extend mercy? In what areas do you need God to begin to work in your heart so that you can begin to be the hands and feet of mercy? mercy of God. In what areas of your life do you need God's mercy? Maybe you need salvation. Maybe you're watching online and you've not given your life to Christ. You've not received His mercy or His forgiveness or His grace. I want to encourage you today. Today's the day to surrender. And to appeal to the mercy of God. If their sins have stacked up, it's time to say, oh God, I appeal to your grace and your mercy. I know I am undeserving. I know that I am in need. I know that that I have sinned. I know that I am separated, but I appeal to your mercy. And if you've received the mercy of God, in what way do you need God to begin to give you more of a heart of mercy and kindness? Is there somebody's pain that you need to enter into today? Let's pray. If you need to receive Christ today into your life, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for your mercy and forgiveness. I appeal today to your mercy and your loving kindness, and I ask you today to forgive me of my sin to forgive me of the ways that I have wronged you and the way that I have wronged others. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me. And I invite you to come into my life. I invite you to make me new. I want to be born again. Come into my life, Jesus. I receive your grace and your mercy, and I declare that you are Lord of my life. And Jesus, as I know you today, and I have received your mercy, I ask you today, Lord, to give me a heart of mercy Give me a heart, God, where I would extend mercy, where mercy would be more than just pity, but Lord, where I would get involved in being able to demonstrate your compassion and your mercy at a cost to me, but in a love for others that they might experience your redemption. Father, may we extend your mercy. May we be mercy extenders today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's close. Stand up with us and let's close with that song, Good, Good Father. And will you just ask God to give you a heart of mercy? Will you just surrender your life to the Lord today and say, God, give me your mercy today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.